Grace and peace are yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, my brothers and my sisters in Christ. A man is pushing a boulder up a hill. He pushes once with all his might. The boulder rotates a couple times, rolls up the hill a little bit, and then he pushes it again, and it rolls up the hill just a little bit more. He's getting closer and closer to the top. He's sweaty. He's exhausted. He takes one final break to rally his strength so that he can do one last push and get it to the top. But as he does, the boulder slips right past him and is all of a sudden out of his reach and is cascading to the bottom of the hill where he will have to go and start all over again. You may recognize this myth of Sisyphus. This is not an ordinary guy, and he's not pushing a boulder up an earthly hill. The myth goes that Sisyphus is condemned by the Greek god Hades to push a boulder up a hill for all eternity. And every time he gets close to the top, the boulder escapes his grasp and rolls to the bottom, and he has to start again. And this is how, according to the myth, he will spend the rest of eternity. Never reaching his goal, never being able to relax, never, ever having a break. Now, do you feel a little bit like Sisyphus? In your life, with your goals, with what you're trying to do, do you feel a little bit like you've been pushing a boulder up a hill never to really reach the top? What about with your relationship with God? What do you feel like the goal is with your relationship with God? What are you trying to achieve? What does being at the top of the hill look like between you and God? That once you're there, finally you will be able to rest. Finally you'll be free from your exhaustion. Finally you will have arrived. What does that mean for you and God? Last week we began looking at a series of lessons that point our direction, point our attention at what kind of people God wants us to be, at what kind of church God wants us to be. Last week we examined a conversation between Jesus and a Canaanite woman where Jesus held her up as an example of faith. And we learned last week that that a church, that the people of God should be for everyone, that there should be a seat open at the table for all kinds of people to come. But when they come, when they join us, what are they going to hear about? Are they given a boulder that they are to push up a hill? What's the deal? Well, in today's first lesson from Exodus, some... 1,500, perhaps more years before Jesus' conversation with that Canaanite woman, after the Israelites have been freed from slavery in Egypt, after the crossing of the Red Sea, after those plagues and everything, after, G- after God led them through the wilderness, they are now at the base of Mount Sinai, waiting to hear God's instruction, waiting to hear from God himself, okay, what is it going to mean for us to be your people, God? And the essence of what God shares with them is to be my people is to be obsessed 
with forgiveness. Now, all of you coming here, you knew that the Christian church of all sorts of different denominations has been obsessed with forgiveness, right? Whatever your church background is, if you've been going to church for a long time or if this is your first time in church, you know that forgiveness, whatever that means, has something to do with what, what we're here for. But is it possible that in our church language, in our church speak, in our Christian ease, you could call it, we talk so much about forgiveness that we forget what it even is? Is it possible that we say forgiveness, that we talk about forgiveness so much that we've become sanitized to it, that we don't really think about it, that we've kind of moved on from forgiveness to other concerns? I mean, you have other concerns on your mind. This isn't the only thing you're going to be doing all week. Tomorrow you have a schedule. You're going to follow that schedule for the rest of the week. You have a big, long to-do list, right? And you have some very real personal concerns. You might be wondering, you might be questioning, who am I? What is my place in this cosmic mess called the universe? How do I know I have value? How do I know what my purpose is? You've got bigger fish to fry, it might, it might seem, than this question of forgiveness. And if that's your position, if that's how you feel, does it feel a little bit like when you come to church, the church is kind of talking past you by focusing so much on forgiveness? If we are to be obsessed with forgiveness, in your mind, is, does that mean we're going to miss the questions you really have, the things you're really struggling with, the things you really want help with? What if all of it could be traced back to your need for forgiveness? What if your questions about where you fit in in this universe, what if your questions about where your value comes from, what the meaning of life is, what if your day-to-day -day work stress could be traced back to real sin, real moral failure on your part or on the part of those around you? Would that help? Would that just be more scary? You've had times in your life where you've been face-to-face -face with this fact, face-to-face -face with the fact that we are not the people that we should be. Each of us here, myself included, has had that moment where you, you look back at whatever it was that you just did, and you're shocked by how wicked and evil you can be. Each of us here knows that we need forgiveness. It's just that maybe we don't like to think about that all the time. We don't like to be reminded of our deep need for forgiveness because to admit that we need forgiveness is to admit that we've done some serious wrong, that we are imperfect, that we're not just works in progress, that we are just too messed up. These verses from Exodus come at a time where the Israelites were keenly aware of the depth of their own sin. Because Moses had gone up to the top of Mount Sinai, and he was a long time coming down. And so the Israelites got a little bit bored. They got a little bit stir-crazy. There was maybe a little lack of leadership, perhaps. And so they did something that to us seems kind of wild and crazy. They took all their gold and jewelry, they melted it down, they cast it in the image of a calf, and they partied. 
They worshipped the idol, they bowed down before the idol, but their worship service looked a lot more like a modern rave than it does a, a church service like this one. So they were bowing down to this golden calf, but what they were really bowing down to, what they were really worshipping, was the idol of their own desires, of their own appetites, of their desire to let loose, of to do whatever they want. And each of us knows how destructive we can get when we follow our sinful, selfish desires. And so God tells his people that he wants them to be obsessed with forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins such as worshiping a golden calf. But what does that mean? Does that mean that we are to be like Sisyphus, pushing a boulder up a hill? Is that why you came to church this morning? Because you knew that you needed forgiveness and you wanted a little extra help, a little boost, so that you could do something to get closer to forgiveness, but never actually reaching it. No. That is not the kind of obsession with forgiveness we're talking about. Here again, what God decides to tell the Israelites, and just imagine how beautiful and how comforting it would be to see the depth of your own sin, but then to hear, as a response to that, these words come out of God's mouth. The Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Why should we be obsessed with forgiveness? Because God is obsessed with forgiveness. And what does that mean? If you're out to dinner with one of your friends, and they're reaching for a napkin, and with their elbow they knock over your drink and spill it all over your plate, they feel pretty bad. Not only is your drink gone, but your food is ruined as well. I see people whispering to each other, did that just happen recently to one of you? Sorry to call you out, it's unintentional. What are they going to do in that moment? They are going to apologize, they are going to ask for forgiveness. What are they asking for when they ask for you to forgive them? Well, they're embarrassed. They want to bury what just happened in the past, right? They want you to move beyond what the, the error that they just committed. And they might even offer to buy you a new drink and a new plate of food just to ensure that you can ignore what just happened and just move on with your night and with your relationship. But here's the thing. You don't have to. You don't have to forgive them in that moment. They have no leverage against you. You could talk about their silly mistake for the rest of the night. You could immediately hop on the phone with your other friends and say you wouldn't believe what so-and-so just did. You could spread a rumor about them. You could share this story about them so that no one else takes them out to dinner for the rest of their lives. You could do that. They can't stop you. But they beg you not to. They beg you not to judge them for their mistake, for their error. But they can't force you. 
And so what does it mean that God is obsessed with forgiveness? Of course it means that we don't deserve forgiveness. If forgiveness was deserved, it would no longer be forgiveness. And we've done a lot more than just spill God's drink on his plate. We have ruined everything, every good thing that he's given us. But what is his response? I forgive you. I'm not going to hold this against you. I'm not going to judge you for this. I'm not going to bring this up again. That's what God wants us to know. Why? Not because we are so cute. Not because we've earned or deserved it. But God is sharing with Moses and the Israelites and you and me as people in desperate need of forgiveness. You can find it with God. God is a God who forgives. He is a God of grace, of mercy, of compassion. He is in the business of giving us the forgiveness that we do not deserve. So after hearing that this is who God is, the Israelites could now paint their entire history as a nation in the light, in the color of God's Forgiveness. They could now understand everything from their slavery in Egypt to the plagues to the crossing of the Red Sea to now sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai that God made all of this happen not because they deserve it but because of who he is, because of how gracious and loving and compassionate he is. And you, brothers and sisters, now can paint your story, your life, as a series of events that are not God punishing you for your sin, but God showing you grace time and time again because of who he is. You need no more evidence of who God is, how loving and compassionate he is, than to look at the cross of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Where God did a whole lot more than just punish us for our sins, he punished his own child, Jesus, in our place. So that Jesus could say, it is finished. God is never going to bring up your sin ever again. It's true, your deepest need in your entire life is your need for forgiveness, but that forgiveness is freely supplied to you through what Jesus has done for you. You're set. So whatever happens this week, the stress that you feel at work tomorrow, the things that are happening around you, you now understand that this is not God punishing you for your sin, but you live your life as a forgiven child of God. But then there's this line, which seems like a contradiction. God immediately says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Huh? Does that just undo everything we were just talking about, about God's grace and how he's not going to punish us? Oh, of course not, brothers and sisters. As usual, we use scripture to interpret scripture. Another place in Deuteronomy, God says that children will not be punished for the sins of their fathers, that each person is accountable for their own sins. And what a beautiful thing that you know that even though you are guilty, you have forgiveness. So you know you will not be punished for your sins through Jesus Christ. But what if someone comes to God 
expecting to be able to use his forgiveness as an excuse. What if somebody were to come to church just for the little pat on their back so that for the rest of the week, from Monday to Saturday, they could go on abusing people and mistreating people as long as they made it to church the next Sunday so they can get wiped clean again? What if somebody came to our, our communion services, took communion, went home, and chugged their own alcohol and lived recklessly and damaged their relationships and their lives and their bank account and lived totally irresponsibly because they felt like they were good with God. God says with this line, that's not going to work. And the consequences of that attitude towards your relationship with God are greater than you might imagine. Who who is really harmed by someone's unchecked recklessness and sin? God says, it's the next generation. Not just your kids, but the next generation of would-be Christians who are wondering, what is this God all about? When the church says forgiveness, what do they really mean? And if they observe people who call themselves Christians living recklessly with God's grace, Christianity won't seem that appealing to them, will it? And so they'll be prevented from believing in Jesus as their Savior by somebody's recklessness. Now, if that's scary, if that's intimidating, if that gives you pause, if that makes you wonder, well, if someone can be prevented from believing by my recklessness with God's grace, I better make sure I act right, then you understand why Moses does what he does next. He says... Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Why does Moses say that? Did he not just hear that God is gracious and compassionate? Did he not just hear that God is loving? No, he understands that. He understands that God is forgiving, but his mind goes immediately to his people to the golden calf incident. He says, God, please, please promise you will stick with us because Moses can forecast that his people will fail again. I can forecast that even though we've talked about this, talked about Jesus' forgiveness today, I will still mess up this week. You will too. What are we supposed to keep in mind, brothers and sisters? Be obsessed with forgiveness. Not obsessed with earning forgiveness like you're trying to push a boulder up a hill, but obsessed with the forgiveness God constantly offers. Be obsessed, in other words, with who God is. Be like Moses and implore God to stay who he is. To not let human failure and human sin prevent God from being the God of grace that he promises to be. And so you already know God's answer to Moses' prayer, of course. Of course I will go with you, God says. Of course I will forgive your sins. Of course I will take you as my inheritance. God has bound himself to you, brothers and sisters, through his means of grace. He goes with you wherever you are. This week, when you and I mess up and we sin again, just go back to the cross. Go back to God's identity. And do what Moses did. Pray. Pray for people. 
pray for forgiveness, yours and that of other people. You go to work tomorrow and your boss is a jerk, your coworkers aren't listening, pray for them. Not, oh Lord, help these stupid people act less stupid. <laughs> but pray the prayer of Moses. God, forgive them. You see someone behaving irresponsibly, whether in person or online, pray for them. God, forgive them. You notice that politics aren't going that well, that some of our elected leaders are making decisions or saying things that you don't like and that in your estimation go against the Bible. What should you do? Pray for them. God, forgive them. Be obsessed with forgiveness, yours and that of others. Be obsessed with God and his compassion. When you talk about God, when you show people God, what are you showing about them? What are people supposed to interact with when they come into our midst? God's forgiveness, God's compassion, God's love for sinners, which is reliable and eternal. God is obsessed with it. Amen.